welcome to Conversations About Life. Well, good morning, Wendy, and thanks for being a guest and a part of this conversation. Good morning. So, Thank how you are you for doing? inviting me. I've been, welcome. I've been doing great. Okay. Well, good. Um, so... I know you from your husband, Don. You're an artist, and you live with your husband, Don Francisco, in Del Mar, California. And I've been familiar with, um, you know, Don's music, you and him, um, since when I was just real young. <laughs> um, and um, so, anyway, I jotted down... I jotted down some things that I thought I would, um, just things I wanted to ask you and just get your uh, reply on, but we can kind of go wherever. We're not stuck to any particular line of thought or questions or anything like that. But just as introduction, is there anything else that you'd like to say just about yourself before we get going? Um, well, I'll just add in that we actually live in Colorado. I lived in oh, Del okay. Mar. I grew up there. <laughs> okay. But yeah, Don and I have uh, just celebrated our 27th wedding anniversary, and we've lived in Colorado the whole time. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's a pretty place. I've never been there, but my kids have. Oh. Okay. So um, I'm sure we'll get to know you better as we go along, because my first question is, just what's the most important thing to know about you when it comes to knowing who you are? <laughs> um, well, that's, it's a, it's a, <laughs> that's a great question. And um, it's not an easy question to answer. I mean, I guess the number one answer would be my family, Don and, my daughter Annie and her husband Jake and um, but as far as what I do, that's a long that's there's a long answer to that question. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting how when you talk about who you are, <clears throat> the things that comes up is relationships. Yeah. It just kind of reminds me that we're so relational that even defining just well, who, what's the most important thing about us as a person? And we go to how we're connected to other people and so forth. Yeah. Well, what do you do? Um, <laughs> uh, well, okay. So you want the long answer? <laughs> I, I always joke that I could, would, would have a really intimidating looking resume not because i've you know spent any a lot of time in any one field or so but because i've just done so many different things i'm i'm an artist i'm a musician i'll, I'll start with the musician how's that sure <laughs> uh, i've obviously have been married to don um for 27 years i've i've booked his tours i've gone with him i sit on stage and back him up on guitar and sing um but i was also part of a group called windy and mary and we traveled around we were signed by sparrow records and traveled around for many years as well um i love to uh do midi orchestration for don's albums and my albums so sometimes on the later recordings when you hear an orchestra, that's me. <laughs> um, oh, okay, cool. I uh, I actually sang the title cut to the NBC sitcom Dear John, so that's a little bit of a, a claim to fame, I guess. It was a really fun, yeah. fun project. Uh, I, I grew up with an artist for a mother. Um, she had a gallery. She had classes. She always had us in art classes, and art was my major, and um, I've always been involved with art but even there too uh, I like lots of different mediums I've worked in sculpture and painting and printmaking and 
fiber art and <laughs> and even in painting I've done <laughs> watercolor and oils and that. I don't know. Some once somebody told me I was ADD, but I don't think that's true. I just think I'm really interested in life. I love photography and my my two things I do with photography are taking pictures and painting from them. But I really love okay. to photograph snowflakes too. And I've done that for about, oh, I don't know, the past eight years. Every winter so, I set up. And, and I, how, do you, <laughs> how do you photograph? Are you talking about like a single snowflake? Mm-hmm. How do you photograph a snowflake? Oh, I throw a piece of uh, a black velvet over the uh, barbecue. <laughs> and, okay. and then it's really <laughs> wonderful because you um, – you, you get behind the camera, and it's actually not too easy <laughs> to find the snowflake that you want by looking through a camera lens. You have to search for it, and it's like searching through a field of stars. It's really neat. And then when you find it, uh, the, um, the, the focus, the field of focus is so narrow that if it's a big flake, you'll, you'll often have to take dozens of photographs of it and then combine all those in the computer so that it looks in focus. It's quite a process, but I like it. Does your lens have to be like a a macro lens or a a kind of a specialized lens for that? Actually, I have a backwards mounted 28 millimeter. So there you can buy rings to turn those around and it uh, it makes it into a pretty good macro. So, okay. so there's cool. some other things besides art and music. I raise, uh, I've worked with animals all my life. Um, I've raised and trained horses. Uh, I started the Colorado mountain dog breed in 19, I, I mean, <laughs> 2009. And um, it's gone nationwide and I spend a great deal of every day hugging my eight dogs that are out there guarding my <laughs> registered Kiko goats. Um, I am currently building a 40 by 40 um, monitor style barn out of reclaimed wood, stick by stick. It's beautiful. Wow. It's got the most fabulous loft. It has a beautiful view of the mountains. Uh, it's yeah. just an art project with animals in it. <laughs> yeah. so, so I think I'm coming to the end of my list. I just, just am 67 years old, and that's a lot of years to do a lot of things in. Yeah. So, you know, when speaking of art, like, what do you think you're trying to do when you're making art? Um, if you've thought about that, or if you have any thoughts, like, I don't know, you know, I'm, is it just making something pretty? Is it trying to say something? Is it, or what is it? What's going on when you're working with art? <laughs> I think that when you write a song or make art, paint a picture or make a sculpture uh, or take a picture. So photography is included in this. You're trying to share how you see the world. And that is what is so important about the arts Hmm. is that how we see the world, we see the world out of our own eyeballs and we process it through our own brains. But, but when we share how we see, then we help each other to see. So that's, that's what I think hmm. is going on there. Okay. Wow. That's a good answer. Um, all right. So from your Facebook page and I guess just your music and so forth, um, you know, you have a religious or a Christian background. I shouldn't use the word religious because I noticed on your Facebook post, <laughs> you don't like religion, but you said something positive about Jesus and so forth. So I guess my question is, what's your experience of God like? Well, I think, I think that the word religion is bad and good in it. And you just have to get from context how, Mm -hmm. what you intend with using the word, because time itself can be really rough on words. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, um, uh, so my husband and I differ a little bit in that Don was raised. So he he jokes that he was born in a pew, whereas mm-hmm. I uh, didn't really get involved until I was seventeen or eighteen. Um, 
And it's, it's kind of fun to share different perspectives with that, you know, that I, uh, my family was, was a Christian, but I didn't, I didn't really get deeply involved in the whole like born again thing until I was a senior in high school. But like mm-hmm. you said, he was raised in it. So um, I guess that anybody who, I, I love the dialogue, you know, like uh, I guess um, my, my thinking is that the universe is awake and alive and meaningful and that uh, it, I have sometimes trouble with the word God. There's another word that can have a lot of trouble because right out of the gate, people can think, that the word God means somebody who is controlling. And maybe I would not think that so much anymore as that I would think that God is somebody who is the creator and who is awake. Um, And I think I've probably progressed (laughs) from thinking that he's just somebody who pulls the strings uh, to thinking that he is somebody who is relational and um, doesn't really want to be above us as much as he might want to be beside us. Uh, Which is a funny thing to say because actually positionally, I think that he is, he slash she is in and through everything. So um, I love that area of life. I, I love the dialogue of uh, spirituality, if you want to call it that. Or is it, it's, uh, I had a lot of science in my upbringing too. My dad was a Harvard guy and he worked for a company that sent stuff to NASA. And I love science and I've, I read popular science and I don't really find a conflict between science and spirituality. They're both uh, quests for their understanding. They're both explorations. Mm-hmm. And both of them can become dogma and <laughs> set us off, you know, and start using us for somebody else's agenda. They can both do that. It's really, uh, it's really more of a human thing that we do that than it is a religious thing. You know, you were mentioning God in and through things. It reminds me of, um, and I don't know too much about the Eastern Orthodox Church, but I've heard that, you know, they think about things a little differently than the Western Church. And they um, think of creation more as like being a, a song. And whereas we might think of, you know, God being separate from his creation and he has like a hands-on, but it's separate from him where you can kind of think of like if, if all reality was God's song, then you, there's like more of a connection between the two. And it kind of fits with some lines from scripture. Like uh, I think Paul quoting someone talked about um, in him, we live and move and have our being. And, and it also, seems to fit with God being um, a sustainer. You know, if the singer stops singing, you know, it's just, you know, everything stops. But it just kind of makes me think of like a more of an intimacy between God and creation and reality and everything else. But I think so too. And the fun thing about that is that um, you might, you might get particle physicists coming a little closer to the idea that creation is a song. And I even read some books uh, by, you know, science writers that liken the physical creation to a song because it really is more about energy than it is about if you look deep enough, you're going to find a piece of gravel somewhere. You know, all through our history of building science equipment, we've tried to been looking further and further and further into creation and finding we still haven't found the chunk of <laughs> and and it's it's pretty neat to be in that age where finally people are saying well i guess there really isn't any chunks of anything it's all uh flickering 
spinning energy and uh, hmm. so, so okay so back to the the thought about like what your experience of god is like and you're kind of referring to like your your interaction with the universe so is that um kind of what you're thinking as far as like your relationship your the friendship with god your, and, and so forth is it kind of the way that you you you're connecting with everything around you is that you're kind of relating that to your connection to God. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, there are things that are, there are things that are difficult to put in podcast sentences, aren't they? But, um, I guess, uh, to summarize kind of the, um, the journey for me recently that, uh, brought up in very rigid, you know, uh, evangelical, when I say brought up, uh, you know, well, not, I mean, starting at the end of high school. So I guess that's not brought up, but there's still, (laughs) when you're 67, there's still room for a lot of decades, you know, immersed in that. And of course we traveled worldwide and stood on stages all over the place. And, um, there were, uh, those are wonderful days. I don't, uh, I, I did go through what is popularly called a deconstruction that has to be defined for every person though. Uh, for me, spirituality does not, is not intended to never should never will mix with politics period. (laughs) I really disgusted it. A large part of Christendom uh, all over both sides, if you can call them sides that they gotten mixed up in that and and i and i haven't (laughs) um uh i think you just have to engage politics as its own thing you know and hopefully your spirituality will advise you in your politics and not the other way around but um i did i did have to pretty much throw out christianity (laughs) uh, all of it and and I, i had to ask myself you know what things what things in my mind are put there before I really had was old enough to make my own decisions and think through and process uh, my path in life and so I had to take it all down and it it was really painful and a lot of it was humiliating too uh, because I realized that to a great degree I was just a bot you know a kind of a a recruit if you will and. Um, Part of the reason that this happened is that you you know it's it's easier to get stuck in a building if that's the only building you're going to and hearing your theology from a a platform. But if you're traveling, it's different. You know, I've been in Catholic churches. I stayed in a Catholic monastery for a year and really enjoyed that time. By the way, Um, we've been in every kind of Protestant church you can think of all over many countries. You know. And this is this is going to wreak havoc on your theology. Eventually, you're going to say, "Well, you know, uh, the sacred cows in all these churches are completely different, but there's evidence of God everywhere." You know, and so this is going to give you some challenges. <laughs> and um, when you start learning things like the difference between Eastern and Western Christianity, and looking—I mean, I'm not an expert, and I. I would never want to give anybody that impression, but um, like I'm not studied, I'm not a theologian, but I joked on Facebook that I'm a lifeologian. I think I could call myself that probably, and it could be sort of accurate. But uh, both Don and I did uh, kind of change over to more Eastern ways of looking at the cross rather than Western ways of looking at the cross. And this brought about some difficulty for us. I, you know, like canceled tours <laughs> because, you know, it doesn't, it's not, you know, we had to contend with the fact that, wow, we never realize that touring and everything for a lot of the places where we go depends a lot more on believing on hell than it does on believing on Jesus, you know. So I don't know. We just kind of had to, to wrangle through some things and, we, we're both still very much amazed at Jesus and um, at God and haven't, you know, somebody, 
we've had to endure things like, well, they've lost the faith and false teachers and heretics and whatever. So I started something on Facebook called Love Heretic just because I was pretty positive that my friends probably were pretty tired of hearing my rants on Facebook. <laughs> so I thought, well, anybody that just wants to hear my rants or is maybe thinking through some of the, th the same things, we can go over to Love Heretic. But then it grew and there's like thousands of people on there. So it's a really neat group and, and we're just on, you know, just going forward and, and trying to um, look at God through the lens of Jesus, through the wisdom of the entire uh, history of Christian thought, not just, you know, one popular movement or whatever. And it's, it's been good. I mean, some, some aspects of it are hard, of course, but it's good. It's just, it's good to be out on the sea if you're a ship and to get, you know, tossed around by the occasional storm, especially after decades of sitting in a pub on shore looking out through windows and going, ships are not meant to sit in harbors. <laughs> so, you know, I, get, I hope that's a good summary. So you, you mentioned a deconstruction, and that sounded like a pretty total deconstruction. You, you said, you, you know, throughout Christianity. So I take it that that deconstruction was, you know, there was no sacred cow, so to speak. And, uh, but then it sounds like, there's been a reconstruction, and uh, you seem pretty positive about Jesus. So, um, what? Um, so, what have you come back to? Like, if you threw out Jesus, the cross, Christianity, and so forth, um, then what did you come back to? Um, like you mentioned, Eastern ways of looking at the cross. So, like. I guess what is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Like, did are you embracing kind of the essential things of Christianity, like the cross, the resurrection, and things like that, or just what have you? What's your reconstruction been? <laughs> well, you're the only one for asking the big questions. Well, one thing I, I love about Love Heretic is that it's very diverse. Um, not everybody in there is Christian. Some of the people in there are agnostic or atheist. And then there's a whole bunch of authors in there and ministers. And and nobody is trying to convert anybody. And that's what I really love about it, that you're um, – we now, whenever we have an election, I will say that my main thing is like, get the politics out of here. You know, we're not going to recruit for – you know, the left or the right, we're not doing that, you know, and, and people get really emotionally involved in those things. And so I just love this eye of the storm where all of society is not involved in an election. <laughs> so, but, yeah. uh, but to me, I, I really did come quite a long way back, uh, you know, and, and I think further back than a lot of people can, like I, to me, I, I, it's, it's just it's a really hard question. I don't, if I say that I believe Jesus is divine and Lord God, I have to do that because that's what I, I want to want, what I want to see him as. And that is what I want to see him as. Because to me that, whether you look at that as historical or metaphorical, and I think that people should probably consider both. That is the story. The story is God made himself into a human being and came here and died for the died because <laughs> the human race killed him because we're violent, you know, and he preached love, a God of sanity, of not working in systems, a God who came into retributive sacrificial religion and said, God doesn't desire sacrifice. So, in essence, he was saying, I don't desire sacrifice, you know. And my family is, uh, my dad is, is Jewish, not the religious kind, but the science kind <laughs> of Jew. <laughs> but um, still, I understand that enough to realize what a huge thing he said when he said that God doesn't desire sacrifice. So, 
rather than seeing the cross as paying off a God who needs to be appeased, I would look at it more as God uh, or as Jesus demonstrating a demonstration of love, as Paul said. He is demonstrating sanity and trying to break. Like I, I think that you have to be careful to look at what Scripture is saying in the context that it was written. Uh, the world system was paying off God with blood. That was it. I mean, gosh, Jerusalem was a big sacrificial city. They were in there almost every day killing things to make God happy. So I would say as far as deconstruction, you can put it in a pretty small sentence. I don't think that we have a God that ever needed humanity to be atoned for. I think we have a God who is trying to explain love to humanity. You know, like he he does it in simple terms. What uh, what what father would give his son a snake if the son asked for a fish? That, that's such a remarkable scripture. Do I what do I require from my daughter so that I can have a relationship with my daughter? Nothing. <laughs> there's nothing. You know, there's no thing that my daughter has to do to qualify her to have a relationship. She just has to believe I love her. You know, and so that's it, it's easy to put that in a sentence, but it's a big thing. But it is kind of the difference between what sits underneath the Eastern Church and the Western Church. And the Eastern Church is first. It's the early one. You know, it got it got changed, you know. And uh I feel as a I I only have a view of one human being on earth, and that's me. I, I only am inside one body and one mind and one brain. And I only know <laughs> that this switch freed me to be me and to be effective. And it, it just has profoundly changed everything about how it feels to, to be, you know? So I'm, I think I'm going with it. <laughs> I think I'm going to stick with this, you know? And, um, so let me kind of put into like a, a summary kind of, how I see it and just, and let me know if, you know, like if this is something that like you deconstruct it from, or if it's like, or am I seeing something kind of different? So like when I just think of the overall uh, story of the Bible, you know, you got creation and, but then you got like um, Adam and Eve and you got like the first, uh, archetypical fall, you know, that it's, it's, it's like, um, there's a, a desiring for something else rather than a trusting in God. So they looked and they desired and they chose that instead. And then, you know, there's like this fall, this, there's consequences, there's separation. And then it's like a cycle that just gets boom, 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 you know, like over and over again, like, with the family Cain. And then, you know, you think of Moses, he was a pretty outstanding guy, but he had like a, a type of a fall. And then David had a type of a fall, Aaron's sons, Aaron, and then Aaron's sons, you know, you see things just being kind of built up and like, here it is, the tabernacles together, Every, God's going to be with us. And then there's like, bam, a fall, you know, it's like over and over again. And then, um, and then the way I kind of think of the cross, it's like no one has measured up. And um, so, so you know, no one can be the Savior. So God himself, he steps in and he accomplishes our salvation for us. And it's kind of like, to me, I kind of think of it as a, a standing, um, like I don't, I've been kind of living with, you know, just the cross mentality for so long. It's kind of hard for me to think of like, what if, 
there wasn't that there, would my past conscience keep me from feeling close to God? Um, because right now I, I don't really think of my past too much. There's some things in my past that I regret that were wrong and so forth, but I think of, well, if there's, you know, if like the accuser accuses me, um, there's like, I can just think of, well, well, God stepped in. Uh, he accomplished um, my salvation, and I'm accepted. I'm loved, and so forth. And um, and now I can just grow in that acceptance and learn how to live out my faith. Like um, basically trying to make my life grow into what it means to trust God and to be satisfied in him and all of that. So is that, that sounds, is that kind of like the type of um, cross mentality that you, that didn't work for you, that didn't um, resonate with you? Or are you referring, are you thinking of something different than that? Well, it's, um, it, it does kind of engage on all that because I feel like my, I feel like in some senses, Western Christianity went back and sat under the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and has based all its religion on feasting on those apples. So we're, we're, if you do that, you're you're gonna feel like you need constant, you know, um, I don't know, um, correction, uh, course correction. Um, so the the two sided, I think, aspect of the that tree is uh, one. Um, you're making um, uh, kind of, uh, I don't want to say judgment. You're, you're, you're assigning value to thoughts and actions that is, that is either good or bad. You're saying it, this thought or action is good or bad. Um, and where that sits uh, ultimately must be somewhere because obviously that can't be arbitrary. So what you do is you say, well, God must be the arbiter. He must be the one to decide which things are good and which things are bad. So maybe what an Eastern kind of more look, how would look at that, <laughs> uh, would be to say, uh, God doesn't remember sin. Love doesn't even keep an account. And so this is this is another reason why I struggled with the Western Western expressions of Christianity. I mean, nobody was deeper into them than me. I, I it was like it was my career. I made money off that stuff, <laughs> you know. And it was failing. It just kept failing and failing because it, the points didn't come together. It didn't make sense. You can't you can't say what do you what do you do with love keeps no account if that is true. By what action is any human on earth going to be thrown in hell? You know what I mean? It's like, if God doesn't remember sin, how does he throw somebody in hell? Or how, you, you see what I mean? It's like there's so many contradictions inside that way of looking things and looking at things. But if you go back to, to some common sense, and I think that Jesus really did, try to bring us back to sanity on some of these things. What father would give his son a snake if he asked for a fish? So what what he's essentially doing is saying, oh, sure, we've got scripture, but you know what? You also got brains and God created your brains. You know what I mean? And so as a, as a, as an evangelical, I was really removed from the feeling that I had any kind of right to think at all. Yeah, I'm kind of mad about that <laughs> because 
I think that in the retributive religion that those Jews were under, it was obviously the same thing. And Jesus was trying to get their brains going and say, you know, I mean, once somebody convinces you that your heart is evil, you don't have anything left except mechanical religion. You don't, you're, you're done. You're dead. You know, because this, the heart is where God engages us. And there is a point in scripture where it says the heart of man is so wicked and evil and terrible. But a little ways down, it says <laughs> that we've been given a new heart. Like we were so famous for, you know, for glomming onto these really negative, you know, aspects of life and everything because we just didn't finish the sentence, you know, like Psalm 22. Oh, you know, why have you forsaken me? Well, the whole, the whole psalm it, it answers the question. And the question got answered by God never uh, forsaken his anointing, never left Jesus on the cross. I mean, there's so many things. It's so ironic because the end point of looking at stuff like this is going to destroy your belief in, in the infallibility of Scripture while Scripture rescues you from religion that kind of religion that you know the scripture says the letter kills but the spirit brings life and so it's just this most amazing change inside of you basically from rote to relationship you've been telling it to yourself all along but then there's this birth in you and you think, and then you rethink your born againness. Well, it seems to me now that I was just born into religion. I feel like I'm more born again now than when I, you know, when I got born again. But I've I've never left it, and I I just think we all ought to be wrangling on this level. I don't. There's another thing is that we have a really hard time with dialogue in the Christian body. We we do silly things like we rant on and on about infallibility while we have over 40,000 Protestant denominations. You can't solve that. You know what I mean? And so if we have infallibility, what happens is we have got to get it right. Like a combination of infallibility and hell means you have, on pain of eternal death and torture, got to get your theology right. Well, this cloud sits over the entirety of Western Christendom, and it is a torment. It is. And when you when you actually, it's so funny because here you go away from infallibility or scriptural literalism or stuff like that, and suddenly for the first time you hear, in literal terms, it is finished, you know? I mean, when Paul was addressing those those philosophers in the Areopagus, and he said, um, in him we all live and move and have our being, he was not talking to Christians or Jews. He was talking to Greek philosophers. You know what I mean? So I, I just think it, it people can debate Scripture endlessly, and the results of that are evident. I could no longer believe that Christianity if it got its way and converted the world, <laughs> would save the world because we have 40,000 denominations and we're fighting amongst each other. We have big sections of us on the right in our politics and big sections on the left. And, and the degree to which that division, that is so sad. We, we've gotten there because we can't dialogue. If, if we put a bunch of us in a room, I've done it. Oh, Mancos, Colorado, we're here because it's 50% to the right and 50% to the left. And we're, if we're in any other kind of an atmosphere, we can't breathe. <laughs> well, you know, people can get in a room and dialogue and they can, and they, and life is endlessly nuanced. And so uh, you just have to start engaging these things. When you've got a faith like this, you, you have to, you have to keep going and solve these things and you can't, you can't just use a, sover a sovereignty doctrine where you would say, um, well, God must know what he's doing when you don't understand something. Thank you. <laughs> Don makes me coffee every morning, and it's really good. It's really yeah. good coffee. You can see it. Cool.
yeah. But anyway, um, I'm sorry. Just you know, it's like anything. You can go off endlessly, but um, I I think I would like to add too that one of one of the things that was really uh, important to me was that um, I had a brother die, and he he was living with us at the time, and he died. He was it it was. Um, seven or eight years back and it was really difficult thing to go through but he was not a believer in any sense of the world word and i had i just felt this remarkable presence after he departed i hate to get into woo woo because you really weren't allowed to be woo woo when i you know i know i know how people hear things like this but you know i i I would have would already gone through the deconstruction and I looked at for I looked for the word hell myself in scripture. It's not there. There's four words that are different that are all translated hell and they all mean different things than each other and none of them mean hell. So I've I've been working on this for a while, trying to, you know, sort these ideas out in my head. But when my brother died, a lot of the a lot of the response from Christendom you know, was not kind. A lot of it was, but a lot of it wasn't. And my brother was, was one of the closest friends I ever had in life. He was just that kind of brother. And all of a sudden I realized that, that we've been searing people's conscious consciences on a worldwide basis for the entire existence of what Western theology and asking people to believe that their only family members are in hell. So I was done. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I'm getting a, a pretty good impression of, you know, what you see, you know, as the problems with Christianity. So tell me about what you see in it. That's positive. You mentioned like the Eastern view of the cross and so forth. Like, so why did the cross happen? You know, I, I know it's because of our violence and, and uh, the violence of humanity, um, like you, you'd mentioned, but, um, why did it, what did it do for us? Um, I mean, it shows us God's love, but, um, anything else, like what's the Eastern view of the cross? Did it accomplish what did it accomplish for us? Why is it special? And um, yeah, just anything along those lines. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I, I have to throw in a disclaimer that I'm really not any kind of a theologian. I haven't studied deeply into, into Eastern, okay. you know, thoughts of the cross, but just read, read books so that I, I wasn't led into this by reading anything. This is just a housewife that tried really hard <laughs> to make all this stuff work. And then one day sat down and said, you know, I've never actually studied this stuff. From, you know, I, I should open up some books. And I piled on the floor all these concordances and I just started digging in and it just started to come unravel. And then and so for me, it was really a relief after that to start reading about Eastern thought because I realized I wasn't alone and that that there was some reason to contend with some of the oppressive systems. <laughs> I hate to use those words. They're so cliche, but you know, in a way, like I think that our retributive religion is pretty oppressive. And uh, what is wonderful about the cross is that, is that we have, God, and I'm, and I'm I'm looking at Jesus as God. I did deconstruct that, but it couldn't. It, I could deconstruct that and give any validity to anything Jesus said. <laughs> and he, and out of Jesus's mouth comes nothing but love. And uh, he's he's not known for setting up religion. He's known for get trying to get people out of of dead religion. You know what I mean? So. I look at the cross as an example of what, some, you know, can happen if if somebody comes here and preaches peace and sanity that our religions won't have it, you know, and that if 
if we say God doesn't desire sacrifice, we get sacrificed. <laughs> no, but the cross, you know, that answer isn't complete um, because um, Jesus resurrected. And after he resurrected, he loved us. You know, so I'm looking at humanity as a whole. We're a family. We're not divided. We're not split. I believe that there's more healing on planet Earth when we see each other like this than there is when we see each other as outsiders and insiders. We just repel people. We're a giant machine for pushing people away from God. And... Jesus, after we killed him, um, he came back and he loved us. So by coming back, this is God. This is some. This is somebody here who's bigger than death, and his forgiveness is bigger than the murder that we that humanity wreaked upon him. Really, not to, you know if you if you don't look at Jesus. You know, as as the, the sacrificial cow, which I stopped doing that because what it does and, and uh, I don't know, it's it's really hard to because remember, I was I was really trained <laughs> and I know what it feels like to be, to be that. But the essential thing that the cross did is to suggest that that what we need to know to acquire salvation. Everybody's really wanting to require salvation, but, but scripture says the day of salvation is now. We're, we're in the kingdom. Jesus told the rotten religious, religious leaders of his day that the kingdom was within them. Um, it's now. There's no. We focus so much on our physical death, but that is not a scriptural concept. We're in the kingdom now. It's it's more like what C.S. Lewis talked about in the battle of the the last battle, where the elves were or the what were they gnomes or dwarfs? Dwarfs. Yeah. yeah. They they were sitting in the middle of it all and could not see it. Yeah. This is where we are. This is this is such an Eastern concept. This is very scriptural. Jesus saw the kingdom around him. He only did what he saw the father doing. He was living and breathing and walking in it. And he was <laughs> raising the dead. And see, that's why I couldn't stay deconstructed because I've been in Christendom too long. I've seen the dead raised. I have seen crippled bones like straighten out in front of my eyes. I've seen wow. everything, almost everything <laughs> that is described as a miracle in scripture I've seen. And I've also seen it both on the inside of Christendom and outside Christendom because Jesus was trying to show us what humans could be and what we could do. It's amazing. It's He's amazing. That's why, you know, I just do want to be careful because so many people do drain the bathwater and the baby. <laughs> I didn't do that. You know, I mean, I had to, to go back and question things that I'd just been, been trained to believe, but I did. Unlike a you lot mentioned, of people. No. You mentioned seeing the dead raised, or you talk, is that metaf a metaphoric line? Like, or talk, no. literally? Yes, literally. And okay. so wow. it, these things that happen in scripture with Jesus, they still happen all over the world. Mm -hmm. They happen in Christendom, and they happen outside Christendom. You know, a shaman, Native American shaman, they heal bones. They do do stuff, and I, they, this is not a fairy tale. It, it happens, you know. And so it's 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 a it's interesting because I don't know our our. Um, The, the creation story in Genesis was an attempt to understand and explain the physical creation. And it is lovely because it enmeshes it with the spiritual, you know. And so in the history of mankind, we, we, we walked away a little bit and we split into science. And we said, well, we've got religious wars and, and millions of people die. So we're just going to go over here and be science. And we're going to try to explain why rocks are rocks for a while, you know, and, 
But but really, in spite of that, the two are not separable, and and science is they're engaging questions of conscious consciousness and um, and and even with quantum mechanics, how our consciousness can affect creation. So it's back almost to two different ways to describing the mechanisms of prayer. And this is a wonderful time to be alive. It really is. Uh, when, when we're not divided by silly things. Oh my goodness. This is, is just an amazing time to be alive. Um, so, you know, you mentioned Jesus and his words and you value those. Um, so, but he does speak of judgment. So how are you taking that or what do you, what are your thoughts about when Jesus speaks about, you know, God's judgment? Well, and at a certain point you couldn't question me too deeply because it does get into me having to be a theologian to answer you. And when it gets into specifics, Jesus said he didn't come to judge the world. And so I, how I see scripture is that I've already mentioned, I don't see it as infallible, but I do see it as inspired. But I also see Paul saying, you better rightly divide it. So you can't, you can't rightly divide an infallible. See, infallibility doctrines don't have the result that we think they do. They don't, they, what they do is they make us dependent on human experts. We have to at on pain of our souls. So when I, when I go into scripture and I see things, I don't always accept them. I have to go look them up. I don't understand everything about scripture. I don't see scripture as a document that is theologically consistent. I see it like two musicians, one playing a guitar and one playing a banjo, you know, and, and they, they duel, they're dueling banjos. It's, it is a discussion on the, the judgment versus the love of God and how, how we, need to process that. And it is that discussion from cover to cover quote. The Bible is a human product. It's really more, um, honest to look at it as scripture. There are lots and lots of scriptural authors. These things go back up to thousands of years. And, um, we canonized them, threw out a bunch of them, called it the Bible, you know, and put a black leather cover on it, you know, much later than these things were written. <clears throat> I don't have trouble using the word the Bible because all it does is mean the book. It is a compilation of scripture. That's what it is. The Christian religion as we know it um, is based on that That compilation that we of the things we decided to keep and throw out etc etc so i'd rather know what was intended by the authors if that makes any sense so so i in my studying it's just that obviously what helped me get rid of the idea of hell is that i couldn't find it (laughs) and so when i say well, well, you asked me, does Jesus come to judge? I don't, I don't think it's even in his nature. I don't think it was ever in God's nature. I think we put it there because it's profitable. You know, I, so the, I, I don't judge my uh, daughter, you know? Uh-huh. So I, I think I see the whole parental uh, construct on earth as a picture painted by God that is as... It is as valid to glean truth from that as it is from a book. I I have to see in the Bible that the spirit kills, or I'm sorry, the letter, taking the the Bible as the letter of the law is going to kill me. Whereas being free enough to look at the spirit of it is going to give me life. 
you mentioned, um, you know, what the authors intended. And um, I was just wanting to mention um, the Bible Project. You know, they make YouTube videos and they also have a podcast, which I enjoy even more. But it's all getting into the their focus is on the literary, literary structure of the Bible. And um, which, wow, I've, as li- from listening to them for, I guess, months or years, um, I'm just realizing how rich it is and just multi textured. And a lot of the communication comes across um, not through just the simple words, but through the structure of things and um, so forth. And anyway, it's just really good. So um, you might already be familiar with it, but I just thought I'd mention it since you mentioned that you value like what the authors originally intended. And, um, but anyway. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's I I mean, I think it just, you have to bring it back to love and that obviously Jesus had a lot of theological questions thrown at him and then he just said, you know, if you just love one another, love God with your heart, soul, strength, and mind, you'll fulfill all these laws. Um, well, what is um, the most satisfying thing that you do or you experience? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> well, again, it's it's not a it's not a, a single thing. I mean, I. Uh, probably the most amazing experiences I have are in prayer and meditation. Um, The most fulfilling thing I can do is go out with my family, (laughs) you know, and be with, be with them. Um, Yeah. I have a barn full of animals and it's probably the most elaborate she shed ever constructed. Um, I'm, I'm very happy when I complete an art thing um, or I recorded a song last month that made me happy. <laughs> All that. Yeah. What's prayer and meditation like for you? Or what does it, how do you go about it? What's it? Describe it. Oh my goodness. Since going through this, it's so different. I feel like I stand in a garden with Jesus and I don't, I don't even know how to, gosh, I, I don't know. I don't know how to get started without starting another podcast. But I feel like, like we talk about it on all these big philosophical terms. But for me, it's interesting because I, I need a barn door next week, you know. And my, and my guy comes back and he, he drives his truck and he goes, You'll never guess what I found. Look at this old barn door in the back of my truck. And so I I almost don't know how to connect it. It's so wild and so big and so amazing. But I I, I view prayer as very um, co-creative. I'm not begging God for things because Jesus didn't. He 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 felt like his feet were on the path when our feet are on the path and we envision our need, uh, you know, and that, that's just a barn door, but we can do that for others too. Oh, this person, you know, and we spend time just wrapping ourselves around that person as we stand in this amazing garden with God. I don't know. Gosh, Hmm. I I don't know how to be brief on that. (laughs) It's changed. Yeah, it's changed. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, what have you come to learn about relationships? Like, just what are your like, through life and so forth? Um, yeah, what have you come to learn about relationships, about what's important, about how to you know, nourish them or go about them or, or so forth. It was really hard to step away from uh, an overarching agenda between me and people. The, ag- the agenda was constant. I either had to make recruits or make sure they had the right theology. 
And as a result of that, I really couldn't have relationships now, could I? I just joke, you know, because like if a, if a, if a mother has got these kind of agendas for her daughter, you know, then the daughter is going to move to Rhode Island so she can breathe, you know. And so that, that was the humiliating part of... I guess I hate the word deconstruction because it became a movement. And that's really not how it happened to me. This, this was all an internal thing. I just, I just know a lot of people have been experiencing it. And so then somebody gave it a name. So then that becomes convenient. But what I learned about relations is that I don't have any right to think that I have a better idea of how somebody should live their life than, than that person. And that I had just better, you know, get that agenda all the agendas out of me and begin to to have authentic relationships um and what i learned is that they are the eternal things they are the point of the kingdom of heaven that is right here in front of our eyes they all our relationships are eternal they last forever they help us get into the moment <laughs> instead of haunting our own lives toward some future that we hope we got right relationships are everything they're their life their love their you know and that includes god we have a relationship with him too and uh yeah they're everything yeah i don't want to see people in, in any class in any race in any age even my relationships with my dogs are valid, important, meaningful things. So, what gives you confidence in the eternal? Like you know, the when we look around, things are born, they come into existence, and then they die and go into the dust and so forth. But you have, you know, you've you've mentioned things living forever and so forth, and of course, that's a part of the Christian faith through scripture and so forth but um what gives you confidence in that so again it's like every question could be its own podcast because <laughs> um yeah well for me it, it it just has to go to experiences i've had um that point to the fact that this isn't all there is you know um i I don't believe in the Dante Dante style hell as uh, as we're taught, but you know, in a human sense, there are definitely things that we could call hell. So we've got in in many senses we have heaven and hell all around us. Um, we have really hard stuff going on all around us, and that's that's the other damaging thing about postponing hell into some into some afterlife. Well, what, what would happen if you were standing on the edge of hell now? Would you reach out and take somebody's hand and pull them out? Well, of course you would if you if you could do that. You know, I know that's not how the Dante-style Dante hell, you know, is, is taught. But um, hell is here and we can do a lot, you know. Like even if we just go go try to find some reconciliation with a family member, we, we shift the needle from hell to heaven and we... We have such an agency here for life, you know, like Jesus, man, everywhere he went, he was pulling people out of the grave and straightening out bones and telling people God loved him. And man, he was just on it. And we, you know, we shouldn't just be saying, well, you better think like this. You're going to go to hell. That's not what he was doing. He didn't do that at all, you know. <laughs> so um, I don't know. I It's a big question. <laughs> a a <laughs> yeah. podcast worthy question. Right. Yeah. Well, Wendy, it's just been really good to talk with you. Um, so, is there anything else that you want to bring up or anything else we should, you know, chat about before we just kind of wrap up for now? Not that I can think of. <laughs> But good questions. Well, Thank you. I mean, um, life is life is really wonderful. It's wonderful to to think about, you know. And yeah, and it's wonderful well, to dialogue about. So, uh, thank you. I appreciate it. 
Well, you're welcome. I've enjoyed it. It's good to just to meet you and uh, and get to know you. So, um, is there any way that you would like people to follow you? Did you know you mentioned um, a group? I don't know if that's a podcast or a Facebook, I mean, um, a website or a Facebook group or anything. But do you um, love heretics or um, is there so any, is there anything you want to mention as far as for people following you, a website or anything? No, I'm not very official. <laughs> I, I just thought, well, somebody wants to talk to me. Why? <laughs> but um, but you can find me on on Facebook. I'm just Wendy Francisco, and and I do have the the group Love Heretic. Okay, and Love it's Heretic. A neat, it's a neat right. group. It's very diverse, and you cool. know, and diversity is good for us. <laughs> so yeah, people yeah. can find me there. Okay. All right. Well, thanks, Wendy. And um, until next time, take care. All right. You too, Will. Thanks a lot. Mm-hmm.